Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. I'm Chad Almy. I am uh, on our admin team and I'm filling in for David this morning as he and a number of our staff are overseas loving on a bunch of our missionary families heading back today. And we're going to jump back in to Mark. So it's been a couple weeks. We did Stonebridge's four anchors. So I encourage y'all, if you did not listen to both the last two sermons, go back. You can find them online on our website easily. Listen to those. Uh, More than any others, uh, I think David really wants us to hear those. If if you consider this your church home, uh, look, David and the staff, God's put them as authorities in our lives, and those anchors are a way that that they're trying to lead us, to help us, uh, to to really be led by the Spirit and and encounter what God has for us. So um, go back and listen to those if you haven't. But for now, we're going to jump back into Mark. We left off at 929, so we're going to pick up in 9 verse 30. Been a few weeks, so remember, um, Jesus has just healed the boy, had the encounter. Uh, The disciples couldn't heal him, and uh, the uh, dad says, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus said, for that reason, uh, your son will be healed. And uh, now they're leaving that scene. And we pick up in verse 30, Jesus and the disciples. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. So we've seen this actually a couple times in chapters 8 and 9, where Jesus alludes to his death and resurrection, and the disciples don't get it. They have no idea what he's talking about. Now it says they're, they're scared to ask him about it. Maybe that's because we saw Jesus was kind of harsher with them in the in the uh, last few verses. And, and David covered this uh, a couple sermons back, so we won't go into a lot of depth, but I do think it's important for us to understand the context here. So remember, Jesus' disciples were all Jews in first century Israel. They understood the prophets to say that the Messiah was an earthly warrior king who was going to come defeat all of their enemies, overthrow, in this case, the Roman Empire, establish their reign and supremacy on earth, they were going to win. And they were going to win now. And this life, this life here on earth, was then going to be perfect going forward. That's what they wanted. That's what they'd been waiting for. And they thought it was here, that that's what Jesus was going to do. So whenever Jesus talks about dying being raised again, it's over their heads. That it's, it's so far outside of what they understood a Messiah to be, they don't understand. And, and I think the important distinction as we go through here, and we're going to see and we're going to unpack these verses, is they were so fixated on the earthly and on what they wanted to happen in the present time, the way they viewed success, the way they viewed winning, the way they viewed being fulfilled, that they missed what Jesus actually had in store. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, 
what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. So this sounds a lot like what Jesus said just a few verses before, where he said, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for the sake of me, you'll save it, right? Turning everything upside down. Again, we see the disciples are arguing over who's the best? Who's the best follower of you? Who does the best job in ministry, right? They want to win. They want to be the best. They're thinking about the earthly, the here and now. And Jesus is saying, nope, it's the opposite, right? The first will be last, the last will be first. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me, but the one who sent me. Okay, so here, I think this verse gets misinterpreted a lot. I think a lot of times people see this verse and we think present day 21st century America where kids are the center of our lives and they're so cute and we love them so easily and, and we're thinking, oh, this just means Jesus saying, love me like you love kids and, and, and that's how you're called to love me, right? Hallmark movies and puppies and little kids and smiles, right? That's wrong. That isn't what Jesus is saying here. And, uh, and I actually think to illustrate that and kind of how severely different what Jesus meant was from that, from what we might naturally think, I'm going to use a quote from Borat. And uh, anybody who knows Borat is probably thinking, this may be the last time Chad preaches. And <laughs> maybe it will be. But um, Borat was a, a, a character of a, a, an actor named Sasha Baron Cohen who had a sketch comedy show back 20 plus years ago when I was in college. Really funny show. The movies are wildly inappropriate. I'm absolutely not uh, recommending them to you. Um, but there was a quote in the show. And, and the show, it was a, it, he basically would dress up as these characters and act outrageously. They were caricatures in order to, to sort of see how people in America reacted. And Borat was a character from Kazakhstan that was sort of uh, very traditional, we'll say, patriarchal. And so anytime Borat encountered in America anything that was uh, for women's rights or children's rights, he would sort of feign uh, misunderstanding and he would say, in Kazakhstan, it man, horse, dog, woman, child, and kukurocha, 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 right? <laughs> That is actually the culture that Jesus is talking about here, right? Children were the lowest possible form of human life. They were disregarded. They weren't to be thought of. They weren't to be considered. In, in Aramaic, the word for child is actually the same as, as servant or slave. No sort of self-respecting Jew at this time would have thought to care for or consider children. It just wouldn't happen. And so what Jesus is actually saying here is, is consider this form of life that's just a half inch above the cockroaches, right? That's so unimportant, that's so disenfranchised in our culture. Consider him. And he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me, but 
the Father, the one who sent me. And what does is, what is welcomes mean? Well, in the, in the original text, it's closest to being concerned about, caring for, showing kindness to, right? Conferring importance on. So again, Jesus is taking what would have been the standards of the day, the, the earthly that, that everyone would have been aware of and, and thought of, you don't worry about kids, they're not helpful. No one's worried about kids, they're not going to help you get ahead or, or be important. And he's flipping it here saying, you have to treat these kids like you treat me or the father, right? They're, they're imminently important. So then 38. Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So I think once again, you see the disciples are worried about what we'd probably be worried about naturally, right? They're in Jesus's crew. They're the ones who get to go out and and preach and heal in his name. And all of a sudden they see these other guys doing it and, and they're upset. Whoa, they, whoa, they're not Jesus' people. We're Jesus' people. How dare they, right? We're the important ones, not them. And Jesus says, no, look, anyone who's not against us is for us. And, and you know, this, it, it, it's, it's not, we're not going to go anywhere with it further in the, in the text today, but I do think it's something interesting to think about for a second, how we treat other denominations, how we treat believers who might have doctrinal differences from us, Right? Do we get competitive? Do we want to win the argument? Do we think they're less than? They don't really understand. They can't really help people, non-believers, the way that we can because we know best. Um, I know I fall into that trap sometimes. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting what Jesus says here. Whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. All right, and now we're going to get sort of to the meat of it and, and where we're ultimately going to spend all of our time today. So in, in verse 42, Jesus goes on, And if anyone causes one of these little ones, meaning the, the children, one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where... Their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. So I think the first thing that that jumps out at us is the severity, right? Cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. Why? Why? Because it's better to be maimed when you enter 
this life or the kingdom of God, meaning heaven, the eternal, when you're embracing the kingdom and the, and the things of God, Jesus's new reality. It's better to be able to enter that maimed than to be cast into hell. Now, quick aside, we know Jesus is sufficient. He died on the cross that if we believe in, in him, we'll go to heaven no matter how many times we've sinned, how terrible the sins are. His blood was sufficient. His grace is sufficient. So I don't think this is, is, is saying literally, right? If you sin in certain ways, you better cut off body parts to stop or you're going to hell. No, Jesus's grace is sufficient. I, th I think what this is supposed to, to do is exactly what Jesus has been building to really throughout chapters eight and nine, which is to show the importance of the eternal, of his kingdom, of heavenly things, of his things versus earthly things. That, that it would be better to go through right now and have to meet the concerns of this day, maimed, crippled, without a hand, without a foot, without an eye, than to not be about the heavenly things, the things about Jesus. And we're going to unpack all this and, 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 and say, what are those things? And, and, and how do we do that? Do it. But, but right now, this is, is emphasis. And, and it's, I don't think it's random that he said hand, foot, and eye, right? Hand being a sign of the things that we do. Feet being a, a sign of where we go. And our eyes being a sign of of what we see or what we, we take in, right? All can obviously cause us to sin. And Jesus is saying, we have to take this seriously. We have to take the earthly and all those desires and the things that, that we end up putting in place of priority over the heavenly and the kingdom of God. We have to take it seriously. We have to grieve it. We have to continue to strive and, 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 and be about his things. Okay, so th there's obviously uh, a, a lot of differences in um, David and I and, and our preaching. He's sort of this picture of strength and confidence, stability, right? And I'm kind of up here and just sort of flailing around and doubt and failure and, and sweating and <laughs> quoting Borat, right? And um, this, you know, it, 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 it's amazing. Every time David's asked me to preach, it, it, it really has been wherever we were, whatever we wanted to preach on, a place of, of really significant struggle for me. And, and I don't think it's, it's, you know, because there are five things that I struggle with, right? It's because... I struggle, right, in, in, in every possible way. And there are folks in this church who don't struggle with this nearly as much, right? I mean, there, there, I have great friends in this church who bless me all the time with how focused they are on the kingdom, on the heavenly things, on, on Jesus, and, and they exhibit all this fruit in their lives. They're, they're always recommending great books for me to read that open up passages in the Bible. There's, there's verses on the tips of their tongue. They're 
prayers and, and commitment to prayer is inspiring. Um, and, and so some of this, this message today, it, it may not hit all of you with the same force and the force that, that it sort of has hit me with. Um, and, and if that's you, be thankful, right? If, if, if you have those fruits naturally and you naturally, uh, or more easily rather, are able to focus on the heavenly things, then praise God, that's a blessing. Thank him for it. But fortunately or unfortunately, you've got me up here and I don't do it naturally. And so for those of you who don't, I've wrestled with it. I've struggled with it. I've talked to so many godly folks who it's easier for. And, and I'm just going to share some of what I've learned and, and, and how I'm trying to get there, right? And it ultimately is about submission, right? It, it, the, the irony is you can't, try hard enough here. You can't make yourself beat yourself into doing it. It ultimately is, is truly a posture of, God, it's what you want. It's what you want. It's not what I want. And, and that is so hard for me, that, that posture of submission versus that posture of, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to do it. It's me. Um, so what are some of these insights one, prayer. I mean, I, God has been hammering me with the importance of prayer. I feel like every conversation I have, every time I open up the Bible, every book someone recommends to me or sermon, it's about the importance and the centrality of prayer. And I'm not a great prayer, naturally. I, I think some of it is... I came to Christ in college and in a reformed church where there's a huge emphasis on scripture and sort of digging in and studying the Bible. And I, I, I don't think it would be overstating it to say that the, the church that, that I became a believer in would say God's revelation is scripture, period, full stop. He doesn't speak to you individually through the spirit. It's the word. And so coming to Stonebridge has been amazing for me to, to, to see so many of you who hear from God in a very real way. You hear specific things from him in prayer, not just in scripture. And, and I want that. I mean, that's where I have been and still am praying the, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And, and I have faith that, that he is and, and he will further. But that centrality of, of prayer and just doing it, right? Just, yes, carving a, a, you know, apart the time for it, sure. But, but prayer is also just a posture of being in communication with God all day, right? It's also the, you're driving and, and your mind starts to go not towards, again, the worries of this world, what you have to get done, who's going to start for the Braves tonight, all the things, right? It can be a conversation with God. And, and I think you, when, you, when you talk to the folks in our body who do it really well, it's almost like it's, it's, it's never ceasing. And it makes sense, right? Prayer is our communication with God. Well, what are the eternal things, the kingdom things? Well, God's obviously there, right? God's eternal. So our relationship with him is eternal. So Pouring into that through prayer is super important, always, including right now. 
scripture is eternal. It's his word. It's his eternal truth. This is absolutely his revelation. We know that. We can have absolute certainty and confidence in that. And so absolutely, yes, you have to spend time in the word. But the one I, I kind of want to talk the most about is the souls of men and women. They're eternal, right? And so the way we interact in community, the way we love each other, the way we allow God to love each other through us is also eternal. That's a kingdom thing. That's obviously what Jesus was about. And, and how do we do, right? Are we leaving margin in our lives? So when it occurs to you, man, somebody seemed discouraged today, or gosh, somebody asked me for prayer last week, and you think, oh, I should check in on, on them. You know, do you have the margin to, to call them and, and do that? Or when someone says, hey, I need help. I mean, it can be the, the mundane, right? Moving or uh, with something with my elderly parents or, or my kids or whatever it is. Do we, do we have the margin to actually serve, to love each other? Or have we jam-packed our lives with the concerns of this world and of getting ahead or having fun or doing all the things that make us acceptable or lovable in our minds that we're not doing that stuff, right? And obviously the same goes, we talked about money and our time, but how are we doing with that? And there's, there's one story I want to share, and then I actually want to go back to Galatians and, and look at the fruit of the Spirit um, like we did in the anchors, because I think it's so illustrative of, of this. But, but the story, so one of the folks who does this well in my life is my wife, A.B., and uh, she always has. Uh, and when we were dating, uh, I was in law school, and law school is this weird world where if you get a job with a law firm in the summer, it's sort of upside down where they're recruiting you, you know, instead of you sort of trying to impress them to, to get the job. There's some of that, certainly, but a lot of it is, you know, they want to make sure you come work for them because they need so many associates because it's such a terrible job that they grind through so many of them so quickly that they're always having to hire 20 or 30 every year. So it's just boondoggle after boondoggle, dinner after dinner, trip after trip. And uh, at the time, going into this uh, sort of, clerkship, summer associateship, you know, to me, the, the best dinner that existed in the world that was possible in the world was Outback Steakhouse. And, uh, and that, there's wisdom there, right? I mean, it is, it's hard to beat the blooming onion and the cheese fries, especially together. But I hadn't, I hadn't been to a great steakhouse. I had never had nice red wine. And, and so they took us to Bones one night, right? One of the nicest, oldest steakhouses in Atlanta, white tablecloths, all the things, right? And, uh, and I was so excited. Yes, the food tasted good, but I think I was excited because it was, uh, you know, a, a small sign that, 
oh, I started to make it, right? Like, I'm somebody who's eating at a fancy steakhouse, right? And, and so I was so excited, and I call AB driving home, uh, and we're, we're dating at the time. I'm doing the law school thing, and, and she's doing Teach for America in North Carolina. Teach for America's this really cool organization that sends recent college graduates into to hyper low income communities where they have a hard time attracting and retaining teachers. And uh, kids are trained in the summer and go in and, and teach in these school districts where they really need the help. And so I start, you know, of course, not asking her how her day was, but telling her how awesome this dinner was and all the things and, and everything. And so I who knows how long and obnoxiously I talked about it, but when I finally stopped, she just starts bawling, crying. Whoa, that's not what I expected. I mean, in hindsight, I probably, I don't know what I expected, but <laughs> it wasn't that. Um, and so she describes her night where in her school district, and this was... It was 607, sort of economy starting to waffle a little bit. Poor districts obviously impacted first. They start cutting funding. So they've had to cut the funding for, uh, they had an after school bus because so many kids are, are single parent kids. She's working in a poor county in North Carolina. Uh, mostly kids who lived in trailer parks or on Indian reservations. And so they had, to, they had these buses that would run at 6 o'clock that would take kids home after their sports practices or tutoring. And so they had to cut those buses. So you're either walking home or you couldn't do any of that stuff, most of the kids. And so she would take kids home. And so she uh, had a kid um, in her class who she had told me stories about before, really liked this kid. She had found out earlier that week that this kid's dad had been hospitalized with brain cancer, was going to die. His mom was already dead, and so he was moving in with an uncle in, in a trailer in the back of this trailer park that they had told A.B. not to ever drop kids that far back because it gets so dangerous. So she finishes um, the tutoring and you know, says, do you have a ride home? No? Okay, great. I'll give you a ride home. Are you going to have dinner? Is your uncle going to cook you dinner? No, no, I don't think so. What are you going to eat? I don't know. I'll be okay. So she stops at a, at a convenience store and gets him one of those microwavable hamburgers and then tells him he can get a bag of chips. He can't believe she's letting him get two things. He said he, you know, scarfs it down, like can't stop thanking her. It's just so appreciative. And, uh, and she takes him home and drops him off. And then on the way home, I call and the, you know, the starkness, right, of the pursuit of the worldly and of the earthly and being enamored by it and excited about it and all the things um, versus, you know, she decided to, to give that portion of her life to serving these kids. Um, and it's, it's still paying dividends, right? Um, our school district isn't perfect here in Marietta City, and part of the reason why we moved up here was because AB wanted to be able to use her time to pour into a school district that wasn't perfect, that needed help. And so, you know, now she, she ran for school board in November, is on school board, and so, you know, God's continuing to give her opportunities to serve in that way because she's been faithful. Um, right now, if, if you've, I think I probably bring it up in every sermon, some version of, of uh, how 
part of frustrated I am with, with different aspects of, of my job, and you kind of see where, where that's gone. So um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, these orientations that we have and, and where we put priority in the things that we pursue. All right, let's go to Galatians 5, 22. And uh, we're going to look at, we just did these. So if, if you did hear the first of the two anchor sermons, David talked about the fruit of the spirits. I'm not going to do a deep dive on those because you can go back and listen to that one. And David unpacks each beautifully and kind of gives you a definition for each. And we're not going to, we're not going to do that right now. But I do want to use this as an illustration to try to give another sort of handhold, as David would say, into, into how to really make this your own, make this prioritizing the, the way of Jesus, the way of the, the kingdom of eternity versus the way of, of the here and now and of our, our sort of selfish flesh. So pick up Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I, I, I want to read that again. The fruit. As Paul describes it here, because it, it's so powerful. I think it's affecting. And I, I'd, I'd like you guys to just close your eyes as I do. And just let the words wash over you. I'm going I'm to read it twice. And just, just feel it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and, and one thing that I think God's made clear to me recently is when you start pursuing these things, it's this virtuous cycle that spins up, right? If, if, and David talked about this a little bit in the anchor, but you know, he'll pick one fruit a year to really focus on and pour into. And when you do that, it starts to unlock the other one. So, so one example, talked about prayer. If you have the self-control to pray and you're praying for other people, right? So... Uh, a friend, one of those friends who's way better at this stuff than me, shared a practice where he carries note cards around with him all the time. And just as he's having his day, he'll write people's names down who he's encountered, neither if they ask for prayer, but more oftentimes than not, he just sees a need that they have. And he writes that down. And so some people have a lot of things by their name, right? And then whenever he gets a minute, he just prays through those, right? So he has the, the self-control, the discipline to do that regularly. And then think about the other fruits that that would unlock, right? The gentleness, the kindness, right? When he encounters these people, it's going to be top of mind 
their needs. So he's, of course, going to lovingly ask, hey, how's this going? Or how's, how are you doing with that? Or I remember this was coming up, right? It's this virtuous cycle. Similarly, if you practice gratitude, so um, sort of with the theme of me being a mess, I struggle with anxiety and depression at times, and, and so do therapy. And what's the first thing a therapist will tell you to do? It's to practice gratitude, right? To, to name three things specifically that you're thankful for every day. And that can be a practice of, of prayer also. But if you practice gratitude, that'll help with joy and with peace, right? And so it's this virtuous cycle that if we just kind of lean in and, and submit and trust, right, God's going to bless us. Then me all the external circumstances that make life tough are going to change, but, but he's going to give us the ability to conform more into his likeness and to be more spirit-led. And I just want to contrast that, and then we'll close. I just want to contrast that by just above, right? It's still in Galatians 5, in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read that one more time. And again, close your eyes. And I just want this to wash over you and affect you. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Right, that gives you this tightness. It just doesn't feel good. And that's just as easily as we can have a virtuous cycle upward with the fruit. <clears throat> we can have a spiral downward with the acts of the flesh. Right? If you're striving, if you're focused on the earthly, right, on, on <clears throat> I'm working hard so that my life can be the way that I want it to, and then you don't get it, what does it turn into? Jealousy, fits of rage, envy, selfish ambition. Right? And, and, and that leads to idolatry. Right? Well, this isn't working. I need something to fill the hole. I need something to make sense to make me feel better. And then when that fails, which it will, it turns to debauchery, sexual immorality, drunkenness. Right? <clears throat> that spiral. All right. I just want to read the fruit one more time, and we'll, we'll close on that. So we close on that, that feeling, that thought, that, that perspective. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the way you use our community, Lord, for us to be able to encounter you. Lord, help us for those of us who are sitting here saying, that's just, I can't grab it. All right, Lord, we, we pray, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. Lord, we love you. We love the fruit, the way it makes us feel, the way it shows your love. Make it real in a new way today to each of us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 